Before we jump into God's Word this morning, I want to mention a couple of things and ask that our church be praying for a couple of, of, of people and issues. First of all, Richard Carpenter is a, is a man that is, is dear to our church. He was the maintenance director here for many, many years. He and I were talking this past week, and um, he couldn't remember exactly what year it was that he came to Salem, but somewhere right around 1970, somewhere around there, and he was our maintenance director up until 1999. He, is, um, he has been under hospice care and will continue to get more care. Um, but uh, would you pray for Richard, pray for his family as they work through this? Also pray for the Willard family. You remember Clotilde Willard was a part of our church for many years, and uh, her children grew up here with her. Her son, Eddie, who's 52 years old, passed away from cancer. His service was yesterday uh, afternoon. So be in prayer for the Willard family, pray for the Carpenter family as well. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're in the middle of talking about different aspects of salvation, very specifically from Ephesians chapter 2 here. What do we need to know about salvation according to Ephesians chapter 2? We saw over the last couple of weeks, first of all, that salvation is from sin. We are saved from sin. We are born spiritually dead, and something has to happen to give us new spiritual life. Otherwise, we'd stay dead in that sin for, for all of eternity. Our sin is what separates us from our holy God. And we've got to be saved from the sin nature that makes us spiritually dead. So first of all, salvation is from sin. Secondly, salvation is in love. You remember, but God, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Uh, John 3.16 is a verse that, that most of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's motivation for saving us is love. It's God's love that, that pushed him to drastic and extreme measures in sending Jesus to die for us, to save us. We also see that salvation is into life. We were dead, but then we were brought into life. When we are saved, we are given new spiritual life. I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Right? The new has come. The old has gone. The new has come. Um, salvation, just very simply, gets rid of the old life, the old death, and brings in, it ushers in new life. We are saved to walk in newness of life. But then last week we also talked about, talked about how salvation is with purpose. It's with purpose. God never does anything flippantly. He always, always has purpose. He has meaning in what he does. Always. God is not the kind of God that thinks, oh, I think I'll do this or I think I'll do that. No, no, God has purpose in everything that he does. He saved us so that he could shower us with his blessings. And he saved us so he could shower us with his love and with his, with his grace and his riches. Oftentimes we think that God saved us just to keep us out of hell. And to an extent, we're not wrong there. But there's a whole lot deeper purpose in God saving us than that. He saved us for his glory and for our good. Salvation is not merely life, uh, excuse me, fire insurance. People, a lot of people think that's, that's all salvation is. Keep me out of hell. Get out of hell free card. Salvation is an invitation to join the preeminent creator in his plan and his purpose 
and to be a part of something that's a whole lot bigger than anything that we could ever build for ourselves here on this earth. As a part of the, child, a part of the family of God, we have the opportunity to join him where he's working. Today we're going to see that salvation is through faith and that we are saved to do good works. All right? As we finish up verse 10. I want, to, I want us to, um, to jump in here with Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. I'm not going to read verses 1 through 3 for you. Um, but we find out there that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I told you I wasn't going to read it, but I just quoted it for you, okay? Uh, but we are going to read verses 4 through 10. So would you stand with me? Let's, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, read with me, come on. If you're reading out of the ESV or if you're reading out of another translation, just jump in there and hang on, okay? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hey, let's pray together. Our Father, as we come to you now, we pray that you will not only show us what your word says, what it means, but also, Father, how we are to apply it to life. Father, I'm approaching you with humility today because I understand the responsibility that I have to communicate your word well and accurately. So, Father, I pray that what penetrates the hearts of all of us in this room and all of us watching online, Father, that what penetrates our hearts is, is not just man-made words, but rather, Father, I pray that it is truth that comes from your word, that it would be the very word of God that impacts us. Father, you reign supreme in this place today. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to talk first this morning about what it means for salvation to be through faith. All right? Through faith. Verse 8 said, Before by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. First line there. For by grace you have been saved. You have been saved. Emphasis there on have been, okay? Paul's talking to believers here. These are people who were dead, now they are alive. These are people who were in darkness, now they are in the These are people who were orphans and strangers to God, now they are a part of the family of God. If we go back and, and, and talk about what's already what we've already learned here in the book of Ephesians, we see that as believers... We are uh, made alive in Christ, right? Um, we have been given a new identity. We're not who we once were. We are children of God. We're not children of wrath anymore. We are saved. If you're a believer, you are saved. 
your salvation has been accomplished. There's no other salvation that has to take place to add to that salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We on the same page there? All right? You have been saved, not you are being saved. You have been saved. God's grace has been lavished on us. We are now called a child of God. And that applies to anybody who has accepted Jesus as their Savior. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, I want to I define a few terms here so we're all on the same page about what we're talking about, okay? First of all, grace very simply means receiving a gift that you didn't deserve. It's receiving a gift that you didn't deserve. All right, that's the most simple form of definition that I can give you so that it helps us understand what we're talking about. We, we think about faith. That is complete trust. It's full confidence in someone or something. Complete trust, full confidence in someone or something. Salvation is preservation, or I think this is a better word, deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. When you are saved, you are delivered from, from, from harm, from, from ruin, from loss. So here's how this works. God shows us grace in that he offers the free gift of salvation. The only way for us to re receive that gift of salvation, though, is through faith, right? Through complete trust, full confidence that God can save us. Salvation is by the grace of God, and it is received through faith in him. That's the only way to salvation. Paul goes on to say there in the middle of verse 8, he says, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast, how many of you learned that when you were young? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, some of the most learned verses, memorized verses in all the Bible. Paul says that your salvation is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. That means it's 100% God and 0% man. If we ever get to the point where we think that something that we do beyond simple childlike faith in Jesus if we ever get to the point where, where we, we think that something that we do somehow earns us favor with God, then we're lying to ourselves. I want you to imagine with me that you're a half a million dollars in debt, okay? A half a million dollars in debt, that's a lot of money. Somebody comes to you, though, and they write out a check for $500,000. That's the same as half a million dollars, right? They write out a check to you for, for half a million dollars, and they, they start to hand it to you, and they say, this is all for you to cancel your debt. You don't have to pay me back, and all you have to do is reach out and take this check, and it's yours. All right, so you take the money. You go and you, you pay off all of your debt with that money. You are completely debt-free and totally in the clear. So here's a question. What do you have to boast about? Can you go around bragging that you had the power and the skill and the, and the brains to reach out and take that check? Uh, can, you, can you talk about what a favor that you did for the person who gave you the money by taking all of that troublesome money off of his hand? It doesn't make any sense for us to do that. We received grace. Nothing more, nothing less. We were impoverished and we received riches from somebody else. The fact that you are now debt-free is 100% due to the kindness of the man who gave you the money and 0% due to anything that you did to earn it. It's the same way with our salvation. 
We have been given this great gift by God, and there is nothing that we could ever do to earn that gift. It's all his grace at work. Paul says, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. A person can boast in something that they've accomplished. Some people boast in something they haven't accomplished. Right? I caught a fish this big a couple weeks ago. It wasn't actually this big. It was this big. Okay? But... You get the idea. I can, I can boast in that. If you don't believe me, just ask for the picture after the service, okay? I'll show you. I can boast in that because I actually did that. We like to boast in things that we accomplished, but what Paul's saying here is that there is no reason at all for us to boast because we had not done anything. And anything that we try to do to earn salvation does no good anyway because there's not enough good that we could ever do to satisfy God's wrath. The only way to God The only way to a relationship with God, the only way to salvation with God is through faith in Jesus as his son who paid the price for our sin through his death on the cross. That is the only way to get to him. We live in a world in which free grace just doesn't make sense to people because you got to work for about everything that you have, right? Because it doesn't make sense to this world, oftentimes we feel like we got to work for even eternal life. It's not easy for a successful person to admit the need for help. And if we were to honest with each other, we would say, you know, we all have some level of success in this room. It's not easy for that person to admit they need help. That's why Warren Buffett donated 60, excuse me, 85% of his $44 billion to charity. But then after he did so, here's what he said. There is more, one, more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. He thinks, along with mankind at large, that there has to be some way to earn your way into heaven. If you just do enough good in this world, then God will be happy with you. Michael Bloomberg, politician, entrepreneur, he pointed to his work on gun safety one time, and and he he pointed to his work on obesity and to smoking cessation, and he said this. He said, I am telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, I would say that's pretty accurate with the mindset that a lot of people have for how they can gain access to God and get into heaven. And we look at these two examples, and and it'd be easy for us to think, man, that's crazy. These two really rich guys would think that that, that they would think the way that they do is, is insane. But I would argue that it's not just rich guys who think this way. I think there's even a strong chance as people sitting here in this room or maybe people watching online, you could be in the same position and you not even realize it. John MacArthur was talking about this topic one time and he said this. He said, salvation didn't come to you by your confirmation, by your baptism, your church attendance, your church membership. It didn't come to you by giving money. It didn't come to you by communion, keeping the Ten Commandments, living by the Sermon on the Mount, giving to charity, believing in God, being a good neighbor, living a respectable life. None of those things. In fact, hell will be loaded with people who did all of those things. He's exactly right. Because as you search God's Word, as you look at God's Word, you realize There's only one way to get to God, and that's through simple 
faith in Jesus. In my opinion, the scariest thing that Jesus ever said was found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, when he said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Folks, good intentions alone will never save you. Doing good things in the name of Jesus alone will never save you. Going through a ritual of some kind will never save you. The only thing that will gain you access to God is if you do his will. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that God's will is for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth, you get right down to it. The truth is very simply that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. What's going to gain you access to God is accepting that free gift of salvation that he's offering. That's the only way to God. You say, well, it's all right, though. I'm good because I was baptized as an infant. But has there been a time in your life in which you accepted God's free gift of salvation and you repented of your sin and you surrendered your life to him? Have you moved from living based off of your parents' faith to owning your own faith? Or maybe some people would say, but, but I give a portion of my money to charitable causes. That's good. But have you given your life to Jesus? He doesn't want your money until you've given him your life. You say, well, I made a profession of faith when I was young, and I've been in church my whole life. Yeah, but has there been true newness of life, or is it all fake? Is it all just a put-on to try to fool yourself, to try to fool God, to try to fool the other people around you? You know, in, in a crowd this size, both in person and those watching online, there is a strong chance that some of you are thinking right now, you know what? He's talking about me. I'm not saved. I've been living based off of what I can do or a false reality or an illusion. I've been living off of something beyond just faith in Jesus as my salvation, and I know now that I am not saved. And folks, if that's you today, then listen, today is the day for you to accept Jesus as your Savior. Today's the day for you to be honest with God. He already knows. He already knows that you are not a believer, that you're not a follower of Jesus. So it's time to quit lying to yourself. Time to be honest with him. We know without a doubt from God's word that God has a plan for you. And that his will is for you to be saved and then to live out his plan in the time that you've got left on this earth. I told you earlier about the story, or about, excuse me, I told you earlier of the story about Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was saved that day in the mid-1700s. Three days later, his brother John is wrestling, wrestling with God 
wrestling, how in the world can I be saved? And it finally clicked for him. It finally clicked that all these things that he's done his entire life, all those great sermons that he's preached, all of those those hymns that he's had a hand in writing, all of those mission endeavors that he went through, all of that was not what was saving him. It finally clicked that he was justified, that he was made righteous through faith in Jesus alone, and nothing else could save him. One of the things that, that, that happened as soon as he realized that He, like his brother, said, there was this warmth that came over me that I realized, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. A little bit later on in writing about his salvation experience, he made the comment, he said, I had the heart of a servant, but not a son. I had the heart of a servant, but not a son. And folks, there's a big difference between a servant and a son. There's a major difference between that. You can serve God as a servant, and you can do a whole lot of good. Or you can be God's child, and there is no end to what God can do. You can be a servant and follow God and do good things and serve the church and say good things and never cuss and never hang out with those who do. Or you can be a son, a child of the living God who enters into that relationship through faith in Jesus alone. When you see God offering that check for $500,000, except this time it's a whole lot, whole lot more than that, you just reach out and you accept it. And you can't boast about anything at all. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything at all to say, look what I did. No. Oh, God, look at what you've done in me. Oh, God, thank you. I want to ask that that you bow your heads and and close your eyes and everybody remain seated, even singers, musicians, remain seated for just a moment. I'm pretty sure that as I speak to to this crowd, there's, there's people in two different positions, okay? There are some who are the son of God, the child of God, and then there are some who are the servant of God. You're here at this church for a reason, You've been been serving God for a reason. Are you you serving God as a son of God, child of God, or are you serving God as a servant only? And this morning, I want to tell you that if there has never been a time in your life in which you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, then you can do so right now. God says, God's word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if right now you want that relationship with God, then I want to ask that you very simply say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Oh God, please forgive me. I want to be your child. God, I believe you have the power to save me, and I thank you for saving me. If that was you, and and in this moment you just simply prayed, 
that prayer or one like it, there's nobody looking around, nobody at all. Would you slip your hand up and look me in the eye so I can make contact with you? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Now for the rest of us, now including those couple who raised their hand, how great it is to be a child of the Creator, of the living God. We're going to sing a moment, a song in just a moment entitled Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And then I'm going to wrap up with a thought. I want to invite musicians to come forward at this time. And you can go ahead and, and open your eyes and stand with me. But as we get ready to sing, go ahead and stand up. As we get ready to sing, I want you to sing this song out. Oh, God, you are awesome. This is amazing grace. And praise the Lord that he has freed you from the chains that held you in death. And he's given you new life. This past week, I've had a couple of people who have told me, you know what, I I'm, I'm just don't fully understand what it looks like to fully give my life to Jesus. Can I come talk to you about that? I said, absolutely. And that applies to you as well. If you think, you know what, I don't know what it looks like to fully give my life to Jesus, to be saved, then come talk to me. Make an appointment. We'll, we'll meet in my office and we'll have a great conversation. Love to talk with you about that. Verse 10 here in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the last verse in this section in Ephesians chapter 2 about God's plan for salvation. Salvation is from sin, in love, into life, with purpose, through faith, and then unto good works. We were spiritually dead. God has made us alive through Christ. We couldn't save ourselves. Only God, through his free gift of grace, could save us through our faith. And then to wrap up this section, the Apostle Paul says that we are saved to do good works. Here's a statement that you're going to hold on to. Maybe you take a picture of the screen when it comes up there, or maybe you write it down. But we are not saved. We are not saved by good works. But if we're saved we will do good works. We are not saved by good works, but if we're saved, we will do good works. That verse tells us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. As we've already talked about, we are not saved by our good works, right? The only way to salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. There's a man by the name of John Gerstner who wrote about this topic, and he says this. He says, you cannot for one solitary moment say anything other than, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We are justified by faith alone, but we are not justified by a faith that is alone. Therefore, if you really cling to that cross, if you really do what you say you do, you will be abounding in the works of the Lord and will be living out an exceptional pattern of behavior. Folks, as God saves us, he gives us a new purpose in life. No more are we pursuing our wants and desires, like the first part of Ephesians 2 talks about. We're no longer following Satan. We're no longer carrying out his will on the earth. We are not going along with everybody else and whatever they want to do, right? We're, we have a new purpose. 
When we are saved, God gives us a new meaning, a new purpose. We are now carrying out His will, and, his, and we follow His plan for our lives. That's how the good works start to come into the picture. He is the craftsman who creates and saves us so that we can do these good works. And then we walk closely with him through life so that he can carry out his will through us. When Jesus was on earth, he said this, John chapter 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we bear fruit as Christians, we are glorifying God. Ephesians 2.10. I want you to remember that. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. And you have an assignment this week. Go and find a commentary and read about Ephesians 2.10. Learn all you can about what it means to be God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Christian, go bear fruit. Go live out God's workmanship in your life. You are sent.